welcome, friends, to Ice Cave Radio, episode number 35. This is a podcast focusing on Star Wars Unlimited and all the other Star Wars card games that we just can't get enough of. It's Flake. It's Charmer. Doa has made a triumphant return. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I know I said I was going on hiatus to some people at the uh, at the event this last weekend, but uh, but I'm putting my hiatus on hiatus. I got a babysitter <laughs> specifically to to come and join you all to talk about the event we were at last weekend because it was so awesome. But you know we'll get into that, but we'll also get into the regular headline strategies and discussion points that that you want to hear about in the world of Star Wars card gaming, specifically Star Wars uh, Unlimited, um, a game which we we have we have actual cards now. Yes. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Now, it's, yeah. what's funny about this, though, is the fact that we we have been asked multiple times about a Patreon and such, which we we, we will be yeah. working on. Um, maybe part of the Patreon revenue can go to getting a babysitter, so that we can have. I mean, maybe more. We'll, we'll see. Or packs or other things like you know running yeah. the <laughs> running the show. Yeah, I only have. I notice I only have a little bit of baby slobber on my uh, my shoulder today. So that's, that's pretty good. This is less than usual. And in, in case anyone's wondering what this is, this is this is drool. Yeah, not from me. <laughs> thankfully, it's not from me. Yeah. It's, it's from it's, a seven month old. It's from so Charmer. We'll, we'll accept it. Yeah, uh, it's for. I wasn't gonna say, but it's it's from Charmer. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess that's what we're doing this week, huh? Why not? It was me. I was just slobbering. All over my good friend yeah. Eric. Hey, honestly, I was hey. just drooling over his brand new Star Wars cards because that's that's what I've been drooling over. All of those amazing hyperspace Segway. foils because <laughs> holy cow, do they look way better in person? They do, they really do. They yeah, do, they really do. I think we'll yeah. get, we'll get, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, you got a good one, yeah. We'll talk about that later. Oh yeah, we got some yeah. great ones, especially Charmer. Charmer's got a. Charmer, I think, won <laughs> that that day for sure. Yeah, I think we all pulled good stuff, but that that was a, that was impressive. Although we we didn't pull anything as impressive as the the person I forget who it was. The very first pack that was open when they said you can open your sealed packs pulled a showcase Emperor Palpatine. No, a showcase Krennic. Krennic. A showcase Krennic. Yeah. And it's like seriously, the very first pack that was opened in the venue was a showcase Krennic. All downhill was, from there. Kind of amazing. Yeah. And uh, there was also a showcase Palpatine opened during the same opening when we were getting ready for sealed. But uh, but yeah, pretty cool stuff. Oh, Wish it, it looked pretty. Back. It did. It looked beautiful. Yeah, they all look beautiful. Maybe you want to lock it down. You look beautiful. You know what Charmer? else is beautiful? What? You know what else is beautiful? Tell me. The cave pole of the week. All right, so it is the Cave Poll of the Week, available at Ice Cave Radio on Twitter. Every Sunday, as best as we can. Hey, we were on time this week, which was great. That which was, was shocking, because we were traveling. We were all traveling. Yeah. Super Bowl Sunday, get a Cave Poll up there. This week's Cave Poll is, oh, yeah. frankly, it's very simple. What game mode are you most excited to play? Your options were Sealed, which is what we got to play most uh, most prominently. This past weekend, draft. Yeah. yeah, we definitely did some drafting up until probably about two or three in the morning in the hotel lobby. That was an option. Mm-hmm. The brand new <laughs> option, Twin Sons, incredible, which we were all wrong on because I think all of us thought it was going to be like a two-headed dragon thing um, or two-headed monster or whatever. Uh, and finally, constructed, just standard constructed go ham fifty-card deck. 
make it happen. I want to ask you, Doa, which mm-hmm. of these game modes are you most excited to play? Which do you think I picked? It's not me. limited because we know you're not a limited player. I'm yes. going to say it's – I think you voted for Constructed. I feel like you're very much somebody who likes yeah. organization, structure. That, to me, seems like a very Doa-esque thing. Well, organization is definitely the least Doa-esque thing there is in the world, I think. But <laughs> that said, I, I do – and I have said many times, I think the pinnacle of card game play, the pinnacle of TCG play – is constructed right because that is where the game is operating as it should be operated right this is a game where you spend time you play test you research you build a deck that you think is just going to be perfect to take into a tournament and smoke the competition and if you're not playing it that way you are playing a lesser form of the game i think so i picked constructed now that said I probably, and I'm not just saying this, I probably do like Limited better in this game than any other game I've played, uh, which I'm kind of surprised about. We can get into the reasons later, but I do like Limited in this game. Um, But to me, it's always going to be constructed. Charmer? I voted for Draft. I... I just really like drafting, as evident from the weekend where I was asking anyone and everyone, hey, when are we drafting? You want to draft? Do you want to draft? You were talking about the time spent uh, that Saturday into the wee Sunday hours. I know I went back to my room around 4 a.m. I was like one of the last few who who called it and went up, but I, I just really like to draft. That's... My favorite way to experience the game, you get to open new packs, you get to build a deck. It's not as, um, so I like that with draft, there's like a mini game within a game, right? Like you still have agency in building your deck when you play sealed, but it's not quite the same because there's also the, like identifying what the, the players at the table are drafting, um, which aspects you want to go into all of that. There's the extra added element during the leader phase that I think is really going to catch some people off guard with this because it happened to me in one of the drafts where I got completely locked out of villainy because I wasn't paying attention to the leaders that were to my left because the first thing gets passed right. And so instead of keeping my only villainy leader out of my first pack... I kept uh, a Chewbacca because I wanted to diversify. And then I looked and somebody else sent me a Chewbacca as well. And then I was like, oh, suddenly I can't draft any cunning or villainy because I had no leaders to support it or I'm paying the tax, obviously. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a really interesting and dynamic format. And I'm I'm all in on it. I also selected draft. I don't think there's any. I mean, it. I love draft constructed. Obviously, I love as well. Um, I haven't touched Twin Suns. I'm excited to try it for sure. To me, it's going to feel like a lot of fun. The dip- diplomacy aspect of it is really cool. But ultimately, draft for me is awesome because where you, Doa, say that the pinnacle of TCG gameplay is going to be constructed play, I I, mm. I happen to agree with you on that. But to me, I what I like about draft is that it, it kind of taps into a different skill set. It's a grow a flower, you know, here's grow a flower out of a pile of crap. Like that's kind of like what sealed is and draft is very much a little bit more selective, but what I loved about it. And I completely, the first time I drafted, I ended up doing the on camera game against Jeremy's learn, which is like facing off against the emperor when you just showed up to Jedi training. And I'm like, okay, like this is just going to be a nightmare. 
But the draft situation was, like you said, Charmer, the first draft, I just didn't even think about the leader aspect of passing it, what's coming my way, what I have access to. And then I got screwed because I had like, okay, I have two villainy cunning heroes and one heroism vigilance or something. You know, like, I I feel like I'm okay here, but I I just kind of locked myself into not having a, a, a vaster array of what I wanted, and I needed to start paying attention. And as we did more drafting in the hotel lobbies or in the at the venue at Wisdom Gaming, that's when I started to be like, what do I have? What's coming my way? Let's, you know, let's start to strategize. And then that bled into the decision-making of what am I passing to my left? What am I passing to my right? What, do I, what am I helping with? What can I anticipate will be open like for example if if i have this common you know if i i want to take it because it's within my color but if i pass the pack and take something else there's a good chance that a, a similar common will come my way because the two people on my left are not within heroism or something or they're likely not playing heroism so i liked draft the best i think that that to me was the the beauty the little gem of the weekend was drafting the game for many yeah, reasons I, I will say too before we get into our results i i like drafting a lot as well and the reason is 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 because it feels like a different game from constructed like the leaders that are good in draft aren't necessarily the leaders that'll be good in constructed and vice versa um oftentimes my biggest problem with like draft and seals sealed is that it just feels like you're playing a worse version of the deck you would rather be playing and this game is different because Something like IG-88, for instance, is not going to be the top of constructed play, but it's pretty solid in draft, right? I mean, you can you can use that ability to get the little edge and damage over your opponents in a lot of situations. So you're going to be probably happy to play IG-88 in draft, whereas like you're probably never going to really play them in constructed unless you really like that character, right? So I like that. I like that I'm playing things I wouldn't play otherwise, and I can have a genuinely different experience Um in, in the type of deck I'm playing than I would construct it. That's why I give this one a pass for draft, um, and I really enjoy it. Okay. That's fair. Um, let's get to the results. The results being, with uh, a convincing margin of victory, it is constructed at 39.3%. Second place is draft. You don't win. It's not you. <laughs> I did win. The thing I picked won. I won. <laughs> um, draft at 27.4% came in second. Twin Suns at 23.9%. And a distant last is Sealed at 9.4%. I don't think I'm too surprised about this. Sealed typically is the least favorite of a lot of people. But I, I yeah. personally like it. But um, it's it's pro- like I said, it's just probably the least appealing I see that Twin Suns is getting a lot of votes here. Uh, It's frankly a three-horse race, and the Twin Suns being such a close third against everything else, I think people are just excited for a different style of play that involves their their standard crew, like, you know, their their four-stack of card gamers, their commander group, let's say, as it would be. And I think that's fair. I think that the results here are probably spot on. I mean, it's it's a poll, so obviously it's going to be spot on to whatever the sentiment is, but... I think that this is good. I think that this is pretty a good snapshot. Yeah. I haven't gotten to play Twin Suns yet, I, but I'm really excited to do it. Um, I'm very excited to to build my first Twin Suns deck and, and play that because, I mean, man, like Commander is the only way I'll, I'll engage with Magic now, and I have a ton of fun with that. So so 
the fact that Twin Suns is like again so different from the base game um, and is just you know more geared towards do something fun, try to put something together that's really cool. I think that's awesome. I was kind of thinking about the the Han Chewy combo because like you know why not? It's it's a lore duo, right? But with Han's ability, you could like on turn five you could create an extra resource. Uh, use it to flip Han because you've got six resources, then use attack with him to get a seventh resource and then use that to flip Chewie. So you could, on like resource turn five, get both of your leaders flipped and have this like big thing. And, you know, I don't know if it'd be any good, but it'd just be kind of fun. So like doing things like that makes it sound like Twin Suns is going to be a, a really fun mode to play. Part of it, though, is exactly what you said. And this is, I think, part of the mentality of people and playing this game is that what you exactly what you described, which was, I don't know if it's good, but it sounds fun and I want to do it. That, yeah. I think, is a big selling point to this game. And Charber and I, you, we discussed this last week on like, how can this appeal to you as a casual? That is exactly what you said, which is, hey, this looks fun to do. Let's just do it. And and that's part of it. Like, I mean, Twin Sons is meant to be a casual for fun situation so i i need to tell this story because i'm still upset with josh i'm not actually upset but i think that it's really funny you talk about right. like just do the fun thing the night before they announced twin sons when we were at the dinner we're all standing around and myself and josh massey and uh jim and some others were all kind of shooting casual formats right because i was saying something like hey the best thing about physical card games is you can just make up whatever rules you want all the best in my opinion anyway all the best multiplayer like for fun magic formats were stuff that people just made up on their own you know whether that's commander when it used to be edh or the emperor format the bounty format even two-headed giant all, all of that stuff and we were talking about how singleton would look and somebody said hey, you know, with set one, it's really hard to do singleton because there's just not a big enough pool, right? Like you're basically stuck running everything. And then I just on a whim said, you know, it'd be really kind of cool if there was just a format where you had two leaders because then you get access to either another aspect or your three aspect combo, but you can run the double cards or whatever the case may be. And both Jim and Josh just like dead stared at me like, uh-huh, that sounds cool. Didn't give me a hint, not a wink, not a anything. Poker so face. one, uh, you know, shout out to them for not giving anything away. They got great poker faces. But also, that's exactly what I think of when I think of Twin Sons, because that was what I was thinking about before I even knew it was a format. I was like, hey, this sounds fun, right? This would be neat to do. And turns out that's an entire format. Uh, they were good at the poker face stuff all night long. There's a we're gonna squeeze in a bad feeling mailbag question because it's pertinent to the poll, which is from Rogue Nine Jaw asking. Now that you've you know been able to play several different styles, which one do you think the game will most likely live in, or or, or you know what is the prominent game mode? Is it is it constructed, draft sealed, twin suns? I'm going to say it's constructed. I think that that's just the truth for most card games. But I really believe that this is a game that can have a strong culture across limited, constructed, and twin sons. I, I truly and firmly believe that. And for those who might not have a lot of magic-related you know, experience, the, the, the driving force for magic is, is its commander. 
that is what everybody is basically hanging on to right now as being the shining and brightest star because Commander and Magic is a brilliant format. It's a brilliant, brilliant invention um, of the game, a great flavor. Twin Suns can do that. So you'll have that culture bubbling up. Draft, the draft experience has been incredible from the four or five drafts I've done. And constructed is constructed. It's just evergreen. It will always be, like like Doa says, the pinnacle of TCG skill expression. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's obviously going to be constructed. I, w- I would agree there. I think usually in, in set one of a game, uh, it, like the first set of a game, that period of its existence, draft is much more prominent because you get to a point where on the constructed side of things, you you get to the limit of what you can do pretty quick with a, just a one set worth of cards, you know? So I think draft is going to be, you know, more popular early on with this set in particular. And then as more cards get added into the pool, set two, set three, etc., then, you know, you're going to have people shifting more and more towards the constructed side. But yeah, I don't, this seriously, like I, I don't, I hope people realize like what a big deal this is for me to say this, who's been like kind of anti-limited for his entire like, you know, 20 plus years of card game existence. Like I, I would sit down and play draft anytime in this game. Like I wish I had had more time to do it this weekend. Like it's, I had a lot of fun with it. So um, I'll, I'll do it. This, this game, this game specifically won me over for draft. I never really enjoyed it in anything else, but this game, I like it. Well, uh, to quote Cosmo Kramer, he's a raging anti-draftite. But uh, you're, you've come around, and that's important. I, I still will be anything outside of, of SWU, but, uh, but now I'm, I'm pro-draft in SWU, anti-draft, everything that's else, fine. like usual. Yeah. I mean, that's a great endorsement of the game. When, you know, renowned sure. anti-draftite um, Doa is actually loving it and enjoying it and wants more of it. I'm, Sh- I'm in the anti-limited limited club now. <laughs> Shall we move on to the headlines, which I guess are not all that prominent because they're kind of going through a little bit of an information slowdown because most of the stuff is out there. Now we are playing the waiting game, frankly. Um, there's going to be some demo events that are happening. Um, I have been in the ear of SCG and SCG Con to put some events in Philadelphia because it's the release weekend mm-hmm. of the game. I'm like, listen, I will go. I will drive to Philadelphia, help you out to teach people to play the game and do all that stuff. But you have to make events for it. And uh, it kind of shocks me that they're not doing it. But they're kind of like, I haven't received an official yes or no yet. So, uh, But I promise everybody out there that I'm using my limited influence amidst the people I know at SCG to be like, can you please... Please put this on the menu. You've got Lorcana. You've got all kinds of other stuff. Put this on the menu. It is a vastly superior game to Lorcana. Like, let's just be real here. Um, let's get that change.org petition going. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I have one headline that I would like to bring up that has nothing to do with Star Wars or Star Wars Unlimited or card gaming at all. Oh boy. You, you oh see boy. it on the notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this this was a topic of much conversation too over the weekend, not just with us, but with many people were coming up to Flake and giving their opinion on this topic. I will say, yes, Charmer was there for a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This this even has bled into, for example, when I was in Hartford for Flesh and Blood, people were coming up to me and telling me that I was either wrong or right, or they have heard other variants of this. So we're gonna bring up 
the cat's ass situation, which frankly, uh-huh. I'm going to put this to bed because I have in the comments of the of the cat's ass video is that there has been many people saying, no, the saying is actually it's the cat's meow. It's the cat's pajamas. It's the cat's whiskers. That is the mm-hmm. official saying. And now we have it in print because friend of the show, John Franey, has supplied to me a, a picture of a, I was going to say screenshot, a picture of the page of a book that John is reading wherein the term the cat's ass is used. It is there. It is in print in black and white on a physical card uh, paper page. It is a saying, ladies and gentlemen. It is a saying. Yeah. It got through the editors. The publisher approved it. There it is. It is real. That's all. That How is the headline. Is it, what what is the oldest version of the cat's something? Because cat's pajamas, for instance, goes back to like the nineteen twenties. So well, how old is 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 your version? What is the original cat's insert extra word here? Well, cats have only had pajamas since the twenties, but they've had asses forever. So, <laughs> and I guess they've had whiskers and sure. meows, but still, I can't that, argue with that. Yeah. yeah, well, I can argue. Yeah, well, you right. can. You can. Charmer, yeah. would you like to? Just sort of solidify this because I mean you were part of this conversation, as was Doa, um, uh, probably reluctantly. So, <laughs> but I'm looking. I'm looking it up. I, this is Where, what we like need. The origin of all these. Yeah, know. the cat's meow as well. Do we talk about that one? The mea- cat's meow. Yeah, the bee's knees. Not cat related. Well, but. the 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 thing about it is like the tangent that rolled off of this one <laughs> was that people were starting to send give us other alternatives with Star Wars creatures. Yes. Um, I don't know so, if we can say them all. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not all of them. Not all yeah. of them, definitely. Mm-hmm. Did you know there's other ones like a uh, dog's bollocks? Yes, I didn't think yeah. that was one. It's or a uh, British one. Or the spider's ankles? Apparently in Ireland, <laughs> say the spider's ankles. I'm, have, I'm, according to you that's know, that's a lot of ankles. The font of knowledge, Wikipedia, uh, an ant's pants in Australia. Oh, that's a good one. At least though. that one makes sense. Like, yeah. do spiders even have ankles? I don't know, but there'd be eight of them, right? Like, there'd be a ton of them. I don't believe they have. Well, hold on. Do spiders have? <laughs> All right. Um, ankles. Are, uh, are <laughs> we? I never just, thought I'd Google when it. When are we life. emergency packing? Because this is another I think we thing. We need it right now. Is we it need time? It right now. Is it time for emergency pack, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Ankles. Hold on a second. I want to actually insert a sound effect. For the emergency oh. pack button, I don't. You won't hear it. It'll be in post prod. But oh, what? I'm taking suggestions as to what you guys want. I'm thinking it might be the that famous sound of the um, not the thermal detonator. The oh god, the thing that that FET drops that gigantic bomb, seismic charge. Oh, right. Oh the, yeah. The drop the base bomb. Yeah. yeah. Do we want that? Is that going to be our our emergency the, pack button? The dubstep mine, as I used to call it. All right, we're doing it. We're popping it. Bink. Let's go. That was your version. It's, <laughs> it's too late. I got really excited. I opened mine. You opened yours? All right. It's emergency pack, ladies and gentlemen. A uh, Ice Cave Radio first. We've been talking about it. Oh. I saved the packs. Some people didn't because oh. they had no self-restraint. But I, I just well, I just lost I just held it up and realized no showcase. So I have a Tarkin oh. in the front of mine. Oh, is, is the it, showcase is supposed to be in the front? Release? I because it would be it would, in the leader slot, right? Yeah, replace so. the leader. Oh. Yeah, that's where the showcase would be. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get one. Is either. it a hyperspace Tarkin at least? No. Also, oh, okay. no hyperspace base. Ooh, no hyperspace oh. base either. So I got I got a Leia Organa. I've got a. Oh, you're you're both opening them. 
we're all. I mean, I got I got excited. So it right. was supposed okay. to be everybody. It was supposed to be all oh, three of us. Whoops. Yeah, but Battlefield Marine. Oh, I I saw a glimpse of something shiny at the back. That we might we might have something cool there. Oh, it's a wampa. Trying to look for like anything cool out of this pack to rescue us. Out Very of this. easy. I've I've realized because of the lack of the black border around hyperspace stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how well the camera's picking it up, but it's very easy with even just a sliver for you to realize there's a, a hyperspace something. Oh yeah, the back. That's fine. That just makes it exciting. The anticipation right? builds. You know. Yeah. Well, I got no hyperspaces up through to the rare spot, but I did get a uh, smoke and oh. cinders. Okay. Oh, right. I got a hyperspace. Ooh, that looks really good. Droid. Man, it I actually looks really good stuff. with the uh, the Hoth. Yeah. Of course, my camera, it's set to like focus on me. So sadly, I can't give like a good zoom in. But. Okay. Well, we got rescued in the foil slot. It's not anything super spicy, but it is a hyperspace foil rebel pathfinder. Oh, that's cool. Which hey, hy hyperspace foil is good. Yeah. After that, I have a ghost. All right. Cantina bouncer, blizzard assault. Oh, oh! I had a legendary. Oh, oh let's go! I have a command. Hey. Oh, nice! One of my favorites. And oh, hyperspace foil frontier ATRT. Oh, cool! All Is right. this a one of the call. three packs that I gave you to refund you for the three packs I borrowed? Yes. Okay. So I told you when I gave you those packs, I said <laughs> there is a legendary, legendary in there because oh, out of all command. the all the packs I opened, I only got two legendaries, and there was like four hmm. or five left. Since and you own three of them, so uh, I will say during this is another reason why I love draft. During the draft portion of our event, um, I had I had two very interesting drafts. Uh, I had one draft where, and, and Flake was either next to me or like one or two seats over, and I showed it to him. Um, but I had one draft where I opened a Luke Skywalker legendary, mm -hmm. and then the person that was next to me passed me a foil Obi-Wan. So that was one draft experience. And then the other one was I was sitting next to Jim. And I was not trying to rare draft or value draft or anything because um, there was even one point where like literally the last card in the pack I passed him was a rare. It just wasn't a, a very good rare for limited. Um, so I wasn't like trying to pick him up. And then when I got done, I realized I had something like uh, two legendaries and eight rares or something from the three packs. So the value of drafts. Yeah, is Here, incredible. I'll, I'll show you. I don't have any any things to open but i'll show you just two cool things i did open where i i got a and they're connected too i have a hyperspace boba fett see if it auto focuses oh there we go those are hyperspace gorgeous boba i fett. opened a, a hyperspace thrawn and they just look great yeah the hyperspace leaders do look very good hyperspace thrawn is awesome actually and a hyperspace oh, oh. that's fire oh. spray so you got oh. the the pair yeah Come your on. camera's doing the same thing there we go. I was oh, gonna say. You, yeah, there you I go. thought I thought there it was getting auto blurred out because the the original that. name of the ship is on there, but <laughs> no. But yeah, look at uh, so th there we go. So that's that's cool. I really Dude, do like gorgeous. the hyperspace treatments. They they do look quite good. One more, one more for the road. I did open a hyperspace focus focus devastator. Ooh, must be nice. That that card is so good. 
I don't yeah. have it in front of me, but the the big win of the weekend, there as we you go. gentlemen were referring uh, to, if you check my nice. Twitter, I did mm. tweet some photos of it. I my big open was the foil. Wait, 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 wait. We're we'll, gonna we'll get, get into that later, right? We'll get to it. Do you have it offhand? Or do we want to just go into that right now? Yeah, let's get into it right now. Actually, sure, that's a do good yours, idea. Do yours. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. So kick us off because we're gonna get into now. I just want to say that there was, I think, twenty or so cards that were left to be revealed when the weekend happened. And as we were all opening them, we were kind of sharing it, and then they became public knowledge. We're not going to mm-hmm. go through all twenty. Each of us are going to select one of our favorites, and then we're going to have an honorable mention and. Charmer, you, I think, in our the first six packs in our first sealed, basically won the won the day between all three of us because what you opened was phenomenal. Yeah, none of us got a showcase, but it was literally like the next best thing because it was a foil hyperspace legendary card, and it was one that we had not seen revealed yet. So that was all like the extra excitement. I didn't even realize it was like foil hyperspace legendary. Like obviously I did, but I was so caught up in like, I need to post this to Twitter because it hasn't been revealed yet. Uh, And it's a card that I adore. So I I wanted to talk about it and that is force lightning. So I did post some photos to my Twitter. If you want to go check it out, the hyperspace treatment, the lightning goes all the way to the edges. It looks gorgeous, but I really like this card because it does something that didn't exist prior to this being revealed anyway. Uh, And that's that it's essentially a silence effect if you're coming from games like uh, Hearthstone, The Elder Scrolls Legends, etc. You choose a unit. uh, Well, first of all, it's very cost effective. It costs one. It's aggression villainy has the force tag, obviously, but you choose a unit and then it loses all abilities for the phase. So essentially until end of turn, it's silenced, right? It's just stats. But then when you play Force Lightning on top of it being a silence effect, which is already really, really good, uh, if you control a Force unit, you can pay any number of resources and deal two damage to the chosen unit for each resource paid this way. So it becomes very cost effective for scaling up in terms of direct damage. Um, When you compare it to, you know, there's cards that cost three that deal four damage, right? This is basically if you have a force unit and you pay three, you're going to deal that four, but also have the silence part, right? So that's a a really important piece. It's a gorgeous card. And I like what you said Mm -hmm. is the cost efficiency and just the plus um, the fact that you opened a hyperspace foil legendary that had never been seen before is so great. And like, I'm so happy that we got to have that experience. Uh, I opened um, the next card, which is what you want to to share i got to be the first to see this one which was great but uh hit us with yours doa unless you have sorry i'm I'm just jumping ahead here i don't know if you want to talk about force lightning a little more before we get to yours no i i think charmer kind of hit it all i think for sure i think it's a great card if you're playing uh aggression villainy it's going to be hard not to include because it's so versatile in terms of cost you know you've got some extra resources like blow something big up i mean three resources pay four resources, take abilities away and do six damage. Like that's, that's, a, that's a ton. It's a ton of damage for the cost. So it's a legendary card in, in every sense. It's, it's great. Um, but we're talking about mine next. Yeah, let's okay. do it. Sure. Uh, I also picked an aggression card, um, but mine is aggression heroism. It's the uh, gorilla attack pod, which is a, a very interesting card. It's a, a four, six for six. It has grit and it has when played, if a base has 15 or more damage on it, ready this unit. So it essentially has like rush or charge or whatever, you know, you know, it can attack 
the turn it's played, uh, you know, feature to it. And I think it's just a great sort of closing card for something like Sabine. Um, I was running in that in that deck because you're gonna get to a point where it's like, sure, Sabine flips on four, but you're probably gonna want five resources to play stuff. And then it's like later in the game, it's like, you know what? I could add another resource in there. And then one of the two bases is going to have 15 damage on it. It just will, right? And if you're playing Sabine, it's usually gonna be your opponents pretty quickly. So you drop this, suddenly, you know, you can attack into something and do four damage. Um, obviously, you have to play it, then wait for their action, then do something with it. So they do have a chance to respond. But, you know, against a 4-6, it's it's tough to remove, especially when you're playing something like Sabine and you theoretically have a wide board already on the ground. But you play this, you can attack base for four, which is significant at that point in the game. Um, you can attack into one of their things and kill it, and then make your thing even bigger because of grits, so it's even more difficult for them to remove, um, if they want to do it with things on the board, they have to use an event if they want to avoid all this damage from grit, right? So it just becomes, and it's got six health, so it's hard to get rid of, so it just becomes this really good late game unit for aggressive decks like that, because it's generally going to come into play ready, it's going to, you know, probably give you value pretty much right away, and then it's going to be annoying for your opponent to remove. So I, I love this as just a closer card for, you know, very low-to-the-ground aggressive decks, and I played it in a couple decks over the weekend, and it performed really well, so I'm hoping it'll carry that on to uh, when we see, like, a fully fleshed-out constructed meta and set one. But I liked it a lot. It was a ton of fun to use. This card performed very well even when I didn't play it because I told everybody before even going to the, to the, the weekend that I am pot-committed to emperor palpatine and the first game i won all weekend was stealing it from with palpatine when it had a scary too a metric ass load of damage on it and i just sent it for like eight or nine at my opponent relentlessly (laughs) and they're like dude i'm like stop hitting yourself stop hitting yourself that's basically what happened it was freaking amazing yeah it can be a nine one in theory so yeah it can be very scary yep I really like the card because it does something rather interesting when you are considering it versus um, or when when you're considering it for draft or sealed versus constructed because it's very specifically based on uh, damage counters on a base, right? It rewards you for being aggressive, but it also means that it's it's almost more rewarding and constructed if you assume that your opponent is playing a rare base because at that point it's just basically a finisher right if they have a 25 health base and you've got the 15 damage on their base to get the activation then it's going to do its job as a closer right that's what kind of what doa was talking about you get to that six and you want to either take out a big sentinel so that's the other nice thing right because it readies you can use it almost as like removal plus a body that you can then continue to threaten on future turns, right? So it kind of creates two-for-one value for you as well. It's it's a surprisingly effective card. Yeah. It's only good in, in I think, like I said, kind of lower-to-the-ground aggressive kind of decks. But in those decks, I think it's, like, one of the best commons in the set, probably, if I'm being honest. It's, yeah, and like I said, it performed really well. I mean, it, it certainly within Limited, it's good. But I also think um, I would run three. I think I, I, think I have... Actually, I think I would run two in Sabine, because it does cost six, so you don't want to be drawing too many of them early on. But I think I would run two in a lot of aggressive decks. My selection, and we're talking about the dinner that we had on 
Friday, and everybody was so tight-lipped, and everybody had their massive poker faces on. I sat next to Jim Cartwright, who is such a great person. They, they all were. Everybody that we dealt with and spoke to were so amazing. Um, Jim, I sat next to him at dinner, and we were just chatting. And I didn't want to you know, pull the Larry King move and just go into the in-depth interviews and whatnot and ask all the hard questions. So I tried to, you know, a couple of glasses of wine in. You're thinking that maybe you can kind of slide one under the door. So I asked Jim, I said, Jim, I'm a control player. Are we ever going to get a wrath effect, a board wipe, a complete reset button? And he kind of looked at me and he said, yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? And then... (laughs) We and uh-huh. we we open the super laser blast, an eight cost event, vigilance, villainy. So it plays within that Palpatine range of vigilant uh, of uh, vigilance command villainy. It is a and I love this. It's a tactic. Hey, it's a tactic. This is a tactic. It's not a trick. It, it's not a definitely yeah. not a trick. It's not a trick. No. Yep. But my new favorite tagline, <laughs> which. We're talking about like, oh, if you would be a character, what would your taglines be? Like rebel, this, that. No, mine would be what this is, a disaster. Which <laughs> is so awesome because this is a yeah. eight-cost event, super laser blast, a tactic, a disaster, defeat all units across the entire – all both lanes, space lane, ground lane. Just obliterate the board. I have been waiting for this. Just – waiting for it because when you're playing control and ramp at a certain point you might get to those you know you might get to that eight eight cost where you can start deploying star destroyers but the the board might be too overpopulated where one star destroyer or one atat just can't handle it so you hit reset and then you start dropping the big boys this card is exactly what i wanted exactly what i wanted think about the cost are you happy with it being eight no i want it to be one like i want it to just be i want it to be free <laughs> I mean, for me in, only. in what you know in what you know about star wars unlimited now and the flow of a game okay do you do you feel like it's okay at eight i i think it is but i'm curious about your opinion as the big control player here i think that at eight it's it it, it, it i think that that's the perfect cost because i think it's it's still an expensive card that has obviously a massive effect and mm-hmm. the one thing that I will say that I mi- I completely underestimated for this game was how difficult it is to get to, to eight resources, nine resources in the certain scenarios. That was something that obviously now we weren't playing constructed. So if I'm playing control and ramp, I'll have a better tuned deck, but so will my opponent. So I think that it's very tough to get to eight. Like getting the emperor out was a huge deal, but it was a very swingy play. I think that on turn eight, if you're wiping the board and dropping the Emperor, I mean, obviously the Emperor you want to steal something with, but like just getting to that point, I think that if it was any cheaper, if this was a a six or seven cost, even seven, I'd be like, "Mm, that might be a little bit much, but you want it to be a little bit overpriced because you don't want it to be a reliable, easy board wipe. You want to give your opponent a chance to kill you before they hit the reset button. Yeah, I, I think it's it is a good sort of like ripcord to to pull if you're down in a in a game like that. And the thing is, if you're playing against an aggressive deck or even like more of a mid rangey tempo deck, and 
you get to resource turn eight and you wipe the board, like a lot of those more aggressive decks just aren't going to have the gas to build back up again. You know, you're going to be in the driver's seat where, you know, yeah, sure you do that. You flip the emperor. You might not be able to steal anyone, but you have somebody with 10 health on the board, right? I think he's got 10. And, uh, you know, they're just not going to remove that unless they're playing, you know, blue as well. And, and they can like, what, vanquish it or something like that. So, you know, you're, you are, uh, no, does that even work? Am I misremembering that? Vanquish, no, I think, you... is non-leader. Oh, you're right, it's non-leader. Okay, so what would you, like, I don't know, damage it and then take down or something like that? Yeah, so either way, my point is, is that it's very difficult to get rid of, right? So, you know, then from then on, you theoretically would still be drawing into more of your removal, you'd be able to handle what they play. So, talking about finisher cards, this is a potential finisher for control in that resetting the board at that resource turn gives you a massive advantage, you know? They are just not going to have the cards in hand to establish another board that you're going to be scared of, probably. If all's going well for you. And it kills leaders. I, I think that the most difficult piece to judging how effective this card is is the timing of it. Because this isn't, again, a game like Hearthstone or Elder Scrolls Legends or anything else where you're taking your entire turn or even... Speaking for, you know, Magic the Gathering with Wrath of God, for example. What makes this card difficult is if you are so far behind that you have to use this to pull the ripcord, right? And you blow up the board. If your opponent even just has like their two cards that they drew in, in hand for the turn, if you didn't get them to at least play one of them, they're still going to play something. Um, what you do have available is, you know, you could play this and then potentially depending on what they do or how many cards they have in hand, etc., you could take the initiative and then you'll have first opportunity to respond to whatever it is they followed up uh, with after you've played this. But if you're in any sort of situation where your opponent has like three or car four cards in hand and they have any amount of resources whatsoever, this actually becomes pretty risky depending on your own health totals. There's a lot of nuance that goes into this. And I think that's the reason that I uh, enjoy the card. I think that the cost is appropriate because it's at, it's at a cost where it makes the decision interesting as opposed to automatic. It's not like, oh, I'm playing control. The moment I hit eight, I slap this yeah. and then I'm good, right? Like that, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, so I, I really dig it. I, I like the way that this was implemented, and I do think that the, the cost is appropriate. Good evaluation. Uh, we do have a communal honorable mention that we all agreed was definitely worth talking about, and I was introduced to this card when Doa played it against me and really ruined my day. Um, Surprise. Yeah, so Doa, by all means, please uh, explain to everybody why oh, sure. and how you ruined my day. I, uh, so I, I pulled this one, and, and I was very happy I did it because it's it's a great card. It costs five. It's another aggression card. It's called Bombing Run. It's a tactic. Um, and you choose an arena, ground or space, deal three damage to each unit in that arena. So that includes your units, too, which is obviously something to keep in mind. But as we've sort of discovered, three damage to a unit is a significant amount of damage to most units. Um, and you know this is a way to maybe sort of like take back the advantage, or at least even the odds if you're playing, you know, like aggressive versus aggressive kind of thing, if they have a much wider board and you don't, sure, whatever, I'll kill my unit to kill four of your units, and then we're both kind of starting from square one again, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's useful, <laughs> excuse me, it's useful in certain situations where you're trying to, you know, take out a, a larger board over time 
to, you know, we mentioned takedown a moment ago. That's uh, any unit with five health or lower. So say you have a big eight health thing you're annoyed with, you play this. Uh, one turn, you theoretically take a couple things out and, and you damage that. And then the next turn, you come in with takedown and finish it off. Um, that's another means of getting back into a game. But there's going to be a lot of situations where, you know, something is going to be bigger, but it's going to be three health or lower. They're going to feel safe and they're going to die to this. So I think it's I think it's going to be a card that you put a, at least maybe a couple on the sideboard. I don't know if it's quite a main board card in a lot of decks, but I could definitely see it showing up in sideboards here and there. But good card regardless. It's a good point to make. We have to start thinking about sideboards. Uh, this yeah. is this is in my yep. opinion precisely that a sideboard card or it's like you main board one maybe and you maybe sideboard two more in case you're running into a lot of low to the ground nonsense confiscate. but everyone uh, well, should put confiscate in their sideboards it's yeah just too good. I, that, it is too good <laughs> but ultimately get, get, this is the other thing people don't realize shield tokens and experience tokens are upgrades yeah you can use confiscate to get rid of shields and get rid of experience so you know Again, if you've got an opponent that's stacking a bunch of that kind of stuff, confiscate can help you out. It does help, especially when you do something like there's a uh, there's a card that I I forgot what what colors it's in, but ultimately it's a defeat all. Uh, oh, weapons malfunction or something like that, or uh, it's like defeat all, defeat upgrades. all upgrades. Yeah, and think power about failure? it. Uh, power failure. Power failure. It might be power yeah. failure. But think about it this way: if something is taking like damage that. and you and it has experience points, and you remove the experience points, it maintains the damage, and it might just die. So yeah. it might get defeated. So I think that that's a great sideboard card as well. But think about this card alongside failure, something yeah. with grit, like you know that can survive it. You just blow up a bunch of stuff on the board. <clears throat> the other thing that you have on the board that has grit now just gets better on on the attack. Mm -hmm. Pretty solid card. I like I like sweepers, man. Like as a control yeah. player, sweepers are what you need. I play my gorilla attack pod, and then uh, the next turn I I use bombing run, and my pod suddenly swinging for seven, with three health remaining itself. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You bombing run it twice just to establish dominance. <laughs> well, no, then it dies. So that's yeah, what I'm don't, saying. Don't do that. You did yeah. your work. Congratulations. <laughs> Sometimes you just I would have ten resources, and I would already lose at that point. So <sighs> I like this card. I can't wait to see Me this too. card in hyperspace foil. Oh, that's gonna look so good. Oh yeah, that will look neat. The Hoth neat cards art. look great in hyperspace. Oh my god, I got myself a, uh, I pulled, or I drafted, I think a hyperspace foil, um, snow speeder. Oh god, just gorgeous. Look, let's I've got uh, here. You can you can see this. Focus, focus there. Echo oh, base. We'll get it. Yeah, echo base uh, hyperspace. Beautiful. It's really nice. Uh, and also the thing with the base is because they're double side token cards, you get a hyperspace um, XP token or shield too. So, God, so that's kind of neat. Yeah. Hyperspace echo base in your face. Okay. <laughs> um, this is neither the time nor place. Uh, oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, no, I'm, I, no, I'm not. Who am I no, kidding? I know you're not. No. No, I'm um, not. I'm not. All right, let's move yeah. on to the main topic of conversation, my friends, which is it's the celebrational that I think I, I don't know if that's the official name of it, but ultimately this past community weekend. Community celebration. Bingo. Was the official name. So the community celebration held by FFG in Minneapolis, hosted by Wisdom Gaming at the Mall of America. What a wonderful, awesome, awesome event. Outside of the cool people at FFG that we got to meet, the great you know, be it Xander or Jim or Danny Schaefer or Tyler Parrott 
or um, my goodness, Jeremy's Jeremy's Wern. Uh, Serena, we got to meet Christina. We got to meet a whole bunch of amazing people there. The the it's the everybody else aspect, and and we'll get to the gameplay and we'll talk about that. But I really want to open this up because last week we were talking as a primer to this, saying like these types of events are so great because this kind of sets the tone for for the community, and the community um, really sets the tone for the game. And and FFG mm-hmm. was very well aware of the fact that. There's a lot of the game's success that rides on us, on you who's listening to this, and the spirit in which you support the game. This was an event wherein everybody who showed up, there it wasn't an adversarial thing. It wasn't like we're all fighting for a limited piece of pie in terms of opportunity or, or content or whatever. Everybody was there to uplift everyone else and just kind of hold hands and walk into the sunset of what, or the sunrise of what of this game is, because the sunset uh-huh. is not the right, right word. But just kind of like mosey on into this brand new game, this brand new frontier, and let's all experience the joys of opening these packs for the first time together. And like you said, the first pack opened was a showcase Krennic, and everybody cheered. Everybody mm-hmm. was just exasperated with joy. And then behind us was a, a showcase Palpatine. And then Charmer opens the hyperspace foil uh, legendary of a card we've never seen. Everybody was on board to just have fun. And beyond that, it's like, let's go. We're going for coffee. We meet up with some other people who are also. We're sitting down. We're talking. Mm-hmm. We're talking shop after the fact, staying up till three or four in the morning, drafting cards in the lobby. Not just us, the FFG crew were like, we're here until you guys shut us down because we want to be here. We've been dying to show you this game. As much as we are dying to play it, they have just been sitting there stewing, saying we cannot wait for you guys to experience what we've been experiencing. And there we were, opening those packs for the first time. And it was it, it was reminiscent of when for me at least when special edition came out for star wars ccg which was i think the first Mm. new set that i had ever played in of that game and i was like looking through the cards and keep in mind there was no online spoilers that i was i had access to back then so every pack i opened was this brand new thing and there was cards they had never seen cards i'd never heard of it was surreal to be around that and again it all comes down to that bedrock that foundation that we're setting which is positivity collaboration just all wanting to pull and or push in the right direction and i thought that was great i like uh, i i printed out a lot of decks and and you know played a good amount of this game before we went um because i can't help myself but uh you know going there i even had like a like three printed out decks like that i brought with me that we were playing with the night before the event and everything but uh you know when you're actually there with all these other people and and you know we talked to a lot of them and a lot of them had played some of the you know, older Star Wars card games. A lot of them had played a lot of other card games. So there was just a lot of kindred spirits there, you know? Um, big Star Wars fans, which is great. Um, and and so then being there in this room with everybody, everyone's opening packs together. And there's no, there's no element of serious competition with this too. I really like that they didn't try to crown a winner for the weekend or any of that, like, you know, stuff. It was just purely, hey, here's some packs, open them up and play with them, you know? And, and that really, I think, led to just a lot of really fun times right where everyone's like oh look what i got look what i got you know i got this hyperspace this and like oh look this deck i made and yeah it was just it was just a ton of fun you know and yeah i i you know like you said the whole development team was there for the game and 
Uh, other people from Fantasy Flight were there as well, and they were just very accessible and just would uh, hang out and chat with you, you know, which was great. So it was just a really nice, like, kickoff um, and a, a little nice, you know, show of appreciation for, you know, the people that have been promoting the game and making content for it, you know, and, and even though it's not even out yet. And, and yeah, a, a great and all, all around purely nerd out for a couple days, you know? I have been <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about the experience there first I want to give a shout out like Doa was saying to some of the other creators because they were all fantastic everyone that we talked to obviously is very enthusiastic about the game but they were also just like wonderful people whether it was main deck Dan or uh, the TCG cast crew I talked to some of the Johto cast crew saga just Garbage rollers. A bunch, yep, garbage rollers. Yeah. Just a bunch of people in the space, and they were all as amazing as you would expect. Um, but for me, I, I've been struggling to come up with the right way to articulate it because I keep coming back to what an important weekend it was for FFG. Because mm -hmm. the reality is... And we don't dance it around it uh, here, but the reality is they know just as much as we all know that they have a reputation as far as their games being supported long term. Um, we've all had those conversations with our own LGSs or other card game players where it's like, hey, there's this really cool game and it's Star Wars and you should check it out. And they say, well, it's FFG, right? And yeah. if you were trying to reinforce what, I mean, what they've already been communicating, because I keep going back to what I was saying, which is, you know, if if I was plotting a TCG release myself, everything that they're doing is all the stuff that I would want to do, right? Their marketing's been fantastic. Uh, the choices they've made for organized play, the choices they've made for how the, the game is designed, um, it's, it's very clear it's all done by card game players, but... If you were trying to kind of really showcase, hey, we are committed to this game more than we have ever been for any of these projects in the past, I think a weekend like what they just had is exactly what was needed because they didn't they didn't have to, you know, rent the Wisdom Studios or partner with them or whatever um you know, whatever it was they, they did to get that production value because it was a very well-produced stream. It was a fantastic space. The event was phenomenal. Um, they didn't have to bring in a bunch of content creators before the launch of the game. Um, they didn't have to do any of these things. And uh, a few people even asked Flake and I, they said, hey, you guys have done a bunch of events. Have you ever done anything like this? And we thought about it. And we've done a lot of events, like we've done in-person stuff, in-studio stuff. We've done you know, year anniversaries. Flake obviously just did the big five-year thing for Flesh and Blood in New Zealand, but I've never been a part of something like this before the launch of a game. And to me, it just really reinforced that this is not going to be a quick flash in the pan for FFG, that they have put thought and time and energy and like we know this and it was even more apparent so I, I will also say if you ever want to question somebody's passion about this just have a chat with Jim oh, because God, I was about to say him, uh. him and his wife you know they've got Star Wars Unlimited tattoos already but even if that wasn't enough like you just have to listen 
to Jim talk about this game and it just resonates with you. Like this is not just, oh, I'm doing this because it's my job. Like this was birthed out of just sheer passion for the genre, meaning card games and the Star Wars universe from those people. And so, uh, like I said, I've been struggling to really find the right way to articulate the impression that it made on me, but also why I feel like it's so important for FFG that they went and did this as well. Um, yeah, and it was that. it was good. Yeah, I, I I mean that we all hear the same thing where it's like, oh well, you know, Fantasy Flight has has no trouble at all making good games. The problem is is having them go for you know a, more than a few years, right? Um, which is a valid criticism. I played the Legend of the Five Rings LCG, you know, and and I love that, and it ended before I would have liked it to. I think a lot of other people would agree, but uh, they have really gone out of their way with this game in particular to do things like what you're talking about that we were all at this last weekend and. You know, talk about long-term support for this game specifically. Um, they uh, they they've said publicly before that they're already into like what seven seven eight something like that sets that they're developing. I forget what the exact number is, but far in advance, you know, multiple years in advance. So the the plan is to go long-term. Um, you know, I've I've talked to Xander a couple times, and and he told me this was the first time they had a, a community manager for any of their games too. So you know, that's a big hire if you are really trying to establish something that's going for a long time. So you know, obviously time will tell with all of this, but for those of us that are excited about this, there's a lot of good indicators that you know it is gonna. They are in it for the long haul, and things are gonna go for a long time. And and uh, the and the, most importantly, above everything else, is that the game is good. Um, you know, if, if the game was bad, then, you know, then none of this would matter. Right. But it turns out the game is actually a very good, challenging, uh, competitive card game. So, uh, you know, that's that you need that to do anything else. And they've got that. So that, that alone kind of gives me a lot of hope for this, but well, yeah, I think we got a lot of years ahead of us of this podcast. Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously from our perspective, it's, it's nice to know that, this isn't. This doesn't have an expiry date on it, like almost like predetermined. It's not like branded into it like a carton of milk. It's just something along the lines of, like you mentioned, they're pl they're planning stuff. Like they're in the the early developments for like 2027. You know, like they've got. Uh, that's how far ahead they're already kind of working on the the first sort of structure of what's coming down the pipe. They've already announced or, or leaked some of the stuff coming for the next set. They've showed us the Mandalorian and they've showed us Moff Gideon, which is really cool. Just the artworks, none of the actual mechanics. Yeah. But like Charmer mentioned, and like you say, every conversation I've had was not them trying to sell sell us the game. It was them saying, we're just having so much fun with this. We're so into this. It, it was them mm. ex expressing their experiences with the game which in in turn kind of instilled a lot of confidence and at the at the foundational at the the base level is exactly what you say Doa. it is a effing good game it's so good um if if it was if this was look i as a montreal canadians fan if this was a toronto maple leafs game i would still play it and that says a lot okay i don't know <laughs> the mechanics are sound yeah well that's what i'm saying is at the at the bedrock of this game there's a core foundational rule set that makes the game f fun strategic i don't want to say like ultra swingy but it, there's 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 so many epic moves that you can make to make every game feel like something cool has happened whether it was you bombing running me 
out of nowhere and me being surprised or me va- uh, Emperor Palpatining the 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 attack the grill attack pod to basically change the dynamic of that game and and go from having three health left to winning that game. There's so much at the core of this game that is appealing and and the struggle for me has been like you like you said charmer is convincing people that this is something that they should invest their time in and it's tough because nobody has a lot of time especially when they're already invested in another tcg but it comes down to it where you're like i i get it just give it a give it a chance give it a try but i i also understand and to me my response after the well i'll wait and see is yeah you will wait and see and you will see and I don't want to sound too cocky. Don't get cocky. But I want to just really fast forward a year and and ask the people who kind of didn't jump on now and be like, do you regret not jumping on? And and see like where the game's at at that point and see how much the player base is built. Because like I said earlier on, it's been a struggle to have SCG recognize the game but on an even smaller scope it has been incredibly difficult to find places in toronto to run weeklies i had to really squeeze the juice out of some of these lgs owners and communities to be like just do one weekly and if you don't have like 16 people show up you can like rethink it but nobody's taking the bait one store in toronto 401 games is doing uh is doing it but none of the smaller brick and mortar shops are doing it. 401 is like a, a bigger box box store brand kind of. There's a few of them. But those smaller like the Harry Tarantulas, the whatever, like they're not they're not doing it. And it it really sucks. But at the same time, I'm just going to go to the places that run it and we start there. And that to me is like we plant the seed there and then we let it grow. Yeah, there you go. And it's it's a uh... It's good because it's. Th- I think the thing that people will realize is that it's it's not good because it's Star Wars. It's it's good because it's good, and the fact that it's Star Wars is additive to it, um, which is you know how theoretically every Star Wars you know product should be. But uh, this is important. I was so worried because I was excited about this game, and I was so worried. I was like, oh, what if it's bad? You know, then it, that'd be so disappointing because I I you know I I've always loved Star Wars card games in particular. And I'm like, oh, I just don't want it to be bad. And and I was so relieved when I finally played it and I was and I got into it and kind of like learned the mechanics a bit better. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, it's actually a good game. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it just kept getting a more more interesting to play. So I feel like this this leads us into our our next uh, little you know topic mailbag esque question kind of thing because it's it's on that note, you know. No, that's a good that's a good time to 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 throw this in here our good friend greg at darth prentice asks how does the gameplay feel did it meet expectations did it exceed them um charmer i'm gonna ask you first or you can answer this one first and again we're all friends of greg here greg's a great great dude uh, very well known within the flesh and blood community but you played probably that weekend more than anybody charmer so um how did it feel for you I mean, I was certainly trying to play more than anybody. I was I was hunting for games, and I mean, I was hunting for games for a reason. It was a lot of fun. It plays as smooth as I expected. Uh, to answer Greg specifically, I would say it's as nice as it is to spend time with Greg, which is the highest of compliments. Um, yeah, the, the gameplay is, 
it was nice because it was very intuitive. Um, it, it was one of those things where all weekend long you could see people still kind of taking their time, thinking things through because it's not to the point where the game is like on autopilot, but there weren't really any that I can think of maybe one time where anybody had to stop and be like, how does this work? Or does anybody know? Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's just well-designed foundationally. And then even so Doe and I had a couple of games where we suddenly had to speed up our pace, right? Because we were trying to get something done before either the next event or before food or whatever. And we found it pretty easy to do, right? Like we, we took our time, we were thinking things through, but then when we needed to pick it up, it was also like, okay, we can do this. And everything still felt smooth. So the, the gameplay experience was just, it, it was everything you want, right? Easy to learn, will be hard to master, and has has good bones. Yeah, I uh, I've talked about I think kind of everything I like about the game previously, but just to sort of recap a lot of that, because um, like I said, I'd I'd played plenty of games of this before the weekend. Um, I hadn't played with the actual cards, but uh, I'd played a lot, you know. And and the things I like about this game are I think there's a a, a great diversity in deck building. Uh, you can make significant arguments, I think, as far as like which aspect to pair with which leader and all that. And, and it, you know, it becomes a, a stylistic choice as much as it's this is the good deck, basically. Um, so I think deck building in this game, especially once the card pool continues to increase, is going to be really fascinating to to track. And, and there's going to be a lot of variety. Um, the other thing I like is I, I really like that there's no turns. I like that. There's essentially, you know, a regroup phase where you do kind of bookkeeping stuff. And then there's the action phase where you pass actions back and forth. And like that style of gameplay um, where you can't just be like, here's my turn. Blah, it's like six cards and big combos that you can't do anything about and all that. You know, it's there. There's there are fun aspects to that style of gameplay. But I really like the more and chess like is an overused term, but chess like aspect of this where it's like I do something, you do something. And then, you know, I respond, you respond and. It really does make you, you know, when you start playing this game, you're going to be thinking a couple moves ahead. Um, after you've played this game for a while, you're going to be starting to think, you know, three or four turns ahead. I mean, really trying to sculpt your hand to respond well, anticipate what they're doing. And that uh, that type of gameplay leads to really, really interesting decision making questions and just like paves a lot of opportunities for really to see very smart things, which all three of us are commentators. We like watching good players do smart things. It, it's, it excites us and it gives us fun things to talk about on the broadcast. And I think the the because of the way the action system works in this game, that gives you a lot of opportunities for it. So I think it's going to be um, a very watchable game as well, which as a commentator, you know, excites me. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, so there's I, I like pretty much every aspect of this game. Um the fact that you draw two every turn because you have to put one down as a resource means you're you know you have a lot of flexibility in what your hand looks like you can you can go through your deck very quickly which is which is good um so yeah i mean i could go on but i've, I've talked a lot about it but those things are kind of the main points about what i really like about this game uh and it feels very good like charmer was saying it's it's very easy to sit down and teach somebody how to play this game um i like i've said before there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, non-card text depth to it, which means that the cards themselves, you know, like ambush isn't complicated, restore isn't complicated, like that type of thing, what the cards do on their card text, 
isn't terribly complicated, but the decision-making around how you use those cards has a, an enormous amount of depth that you can in, choose to engage with. And I, I love that that's there. So yeah, I think it's it's the very good classic, easy to pick up, very difficult to master. So yeah, it's a, it's a very good card game. As someone who's played card games since 1995, I guess almost... What is that, like 29 years now or yeah, something like that? Yeah, we're approaching the 30. I, when, when I write the description for this show, I, I talk about it. how we have a cumulative 75 years of <laughs> card gaming, you know, sure. uh, uh, but, history and, and knowledge and wisdom or whatever. But ultimately, that's going to have to get pumped up soon to like 90, <laughs> 90 cumulative yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it is, you know, having played a lot of card games and I will really try any card game out there at least once. And, and this is, this is definitely among the best I've played. So it's, a, it's very exciting. All right. So the feel part, I'm going to, you guys talked about the gameplay. I'm not going to harp on that. It, it definitely exceeded expectations. And the one thing I'll, I'll note is that for the first like eight games I played, I got spanked. I got absolutely dev like demolished, but I was having a blast getting getting demolished like i got beaten convincingly on in the first like six or seven games i played but it was By fun me mostly yes well it was yeah. you you definitely have some <laughs> notches that you have from, that are oh, according to me uh but i was so dead set on on playing palpatine and winning with palpatine i ended by beating uh jeff i think i beat was it um the op guy oh my god it's jeff right I Josh, Josh, uh, sorry, Josh Massey. Yes, Josh Massey. I beat Josh Massey yeah. thirty to zero, and I did so with Je uh, Jeremy Zwern <laughs> behind me, not saying anything. Merely, oh, okay. merely at the end of it, said, "You played that really damn good." He's like, "You're you're my Padawan now." I was like, <gasps> "Oh, yeah, wow. I'm Jeff Zwern's Padawan." Yeah, it felt good. But I, what I will say is what felt amazing <laughs> is opening these damn packs because it was, besides just rifling through and finding the rares, you are looking for those hyperspace cards, which they might be the base, it might be the leader, it might be something, you might get one in the back, it might be the foil. Opening and, and going through the packs was just, so, like I have not had that much fun opening packs since God knows when. Like, and full transparency, I the, the, the fact that they're paper packs just makes them that much more satisfying. I love opening flesh and blood packs, but it's this exceeds that experience. This a hundred percent exceeds the experience. And to to just close this out, I have been very adamant that I am not a vanity player. I'm not a foils type of collector. I'm not the type of person that wants to keep those. I will always trade them down for extra value. Not this game, mofos. Uh-uh. I have made the decision <laughs> that I have a binder, and I want every hyperspace foil, okay? I want every wow. freaking hyperspace foil. That is the mission. That's what we're going for. And I cannot believe that they got me hook, line, and sinker with this stuff, but the cards look so freaking good. And it is very cool that like uh, every every slot has a chance to have a hyperspace version of oh, it. Oh, God, and yeah. Look at this For me, thing. I've always been like, oh, alt arts? Yeah, that's a great way to get more cards I actually want to use. Um, I've always been the type to like trade and sell all my alt arts because I'm like, well, I can build more decks if I do this. But uh, yeah, this game, like, I know I'm going to find like a deck that I really like that I'm going to try to go full hyperspace with. It just, the cards look too good. It's, it's cool. They look beautiful. Yeah. All right, Charmer. So, Charmer, let's say, uh, let's say you've just played 
you just played Sabine, you played all of your 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 heroism aggression. You're even playing that hyperspace chopper that I opened the other day that I traded to you. You got all of them on the board, you're feeling good. Life is just a big bowl of chocolates for some reason. And then I hit big eight resources. I have initiative. And I say, I will use all eight resources to play super laser disaster tactic extraordinaire blast sauce. What do you say to that? I say I'm as dead as Jeff. And also I have a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. Quiet. All right, so we have a pretty robust bad feeling mailbag, and we are so, so hyped, so uh, thankful and grateful for everybody's support. Our Discord is booming, which is incredible. That conversation going on there. A lot of people are in there having great chats about Star Wars Unlimited, about Star Wars media, about non Star Wars media. We're having chats about wrestling, which I love. if we don't get to all the questions, we will roll them over. So um, we're going to try to get to as many as we can. But the fact that everybody is writing us at icecaveradio at gmail.com or sending them in the Discord into the question uh, channel, thank you. Legitimately thank you because this has gone better than my wildest dreams. So we appreciate all of you. Who wants to pick the first question? I was just going to start at the top. I don't know. That's a good place to start. Yeah. We it. should do one. Actually, I take it back. We should do the question in here that is from our Discord first. Good call. To to incentivize yes. people from using the Discord. Yes. Or to use the Discord. Well, yeah. and, and eventually when we have a Patreon, it'll go Patreon. Oh, yeah. There Discord you go. Yeah. email. Get to the okay, right. good call. So, all right. Let's go with that one first. Got to gotta get the babysitters for Doa. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so our question from Discord. Not that I need babysitting, but my child does. Anyway, maybe I do. Maybe I do sometimes. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Let's let's move on to the Discord question. Uh, question for Flake Doa and Charmer. Uh, there's no comma, so it's almost like Flake Doa is one name. Correct. And then Charmer is a separate one. Yeah. So that's that's happening. From uh, Captain J-Rod, uh, the level of production of the community was huge. The impression that uh, FFG, Fantasy Flight Games, is all in on this game. Uh Yes. So my question is, when a company invests on a level like this for a game, what level of success mirroring other TCGs does SWU have to hit? Uh, what do you think will be the breaking point for this and any TCG for the company to call it quits? Um, interesting. Okay. So I think they mean, like, what uh, What do you think would make them... I, I'm Okay. Well, we'll break this question down later once I read it all. Last, from the stream, I saw little to none of... Uh, the female content creators on the stream, you are all in the card game community. What are you female counterparts saying about Swoo? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in there. Uh, so we'll start with uh, what uh, what level of success it sounds like on the for investment for the, the broadcaster, because they talk about level of production for community was huge. I think... So y- I'm y- going to yeah. take... So, well, how do you interpret this one? This one ended up being more complex than I expected it would be. So So the way that I interpret this question is I think what they're saying is it's clear that they're investing a lot into the game based on the production and everything else and the whole whole hoopla of this weekend. What Mm. level of success does this have to hit for them to be like, hey, this was worth it. Let's keep going and let's let's let's. 
uh, I guess comparing it to maybe another TCG, in my opinion, I mean, I'm trying to think of TCGs that have rather, I don't want to say timid amounts of success, but ultimately, like, for example, Flesh and Blood is a big deal. I don't think that this game is going to approach Flesh and Blood for a while, but I think it has the potential to approach Flesh and Blood. I think that this is certainly a game that can have a U.S. national championship of 400 qualified players. That and and all the side events are just bumping and buzzing. I think that it doesn't need to hit that level. I think that this game will never hit magic level. But I think that if it, it doesn't, I don't think it needs to. I don't think I don't think any TCG needs to hit that level. But I think that this is a card game that can rival Flesh and Blood because it plays so differently. It's a completely different IP, and it has the capability that if they inv- want to invest what Flesh and Blood's investing, which is a big ask, I just literally just today published an episode about the finances and the investment and like the business side of what LSS is doing with their game and what they're committing to it. This is another potential flesh and blood type of, of game that can attain that, in my opinion. Do they need to? No. I think that they can. But comparing it to another TCG and saying, hey, this is the minimum we have to do, I don't think they're thinking that way. I think that they're thinking of it from a perspective of, a lot of people are playing this game. There's a lot of positive buzz around it. We're going to stick with this for at least four or five years and then reevaluate. And I think that that's where they're at. It's a very tough question to ask from that perspective, to answer from that from that perspective. Um, I'm going to use this excuse to talk about uh, broadcast production since that's my my area of expertise. And they did say production, so I'll, I'll weave this question into that side of things uh, real quick. Where. Uh, I would just like to see production around tournaments that takes the time to create content to fill space between games. Because sure, we all love gameplay, but I think making sure that we have uh, at least one person at each event going around and getting interviews interviews with the players uh, who knows how to get the human side of the story. Because there's so many players that like work so hard to like get where they get to in card games and all that. And everyone has such a unique story. And I want that to come out on broadcast more. I want there to be more star building because you know ultimately like yeah like plays in a video game or in a card game or in a traditional sport are cool but like people aren't fans of plays they're fans of of players they're fans of the people the human beings right that are playing these so highlighting the the human side of the game i think is is uh is is something that really needs to be done frankly better in, in a lot of tcgs and i think this one has a chance to do it and it comes down to like you know are the are the resources allocated properly when we get to like tournament broadcasts to make that happen? And and I hope it does because I think it'd be great. I think you know just like with any other card game, you could get a lot of cool content things going. Um, to adjust the or not to adjust to address the uh, the other part of the question where you know why weren't there a lot of female content creators shown on stream? Uh, the answer to that I think is there just wasn't really many of us at all shown on stream uh you know i think each each sort of group was given like one person that could be part of like an on-stream portion of that so i think that's kind of largely the reason the other reason is that there were just many more men than women there that's just kind of how it is in the tcg situation the content uh you know seen right now in general and like obviously it's on us guys and i'm I'm especially talking to younger guys out there that maybe are not approaching their gaming with as much maturity as they should be to make sure that there's a spot at the table for girls who want to game with you you know they are just trying to learn the game and play their best just like you are so 
if we want to see more representation in the scene, whether it's women, whether it's other groups that we don't see as much of, that's that's on us to make sure that there's always a spot at the table and we're, you know, treating them the same as we treat any other gamer. So um, hopefully we will see, you know, more in the future. And coming from esports, this is something obviously that we've been, you know, addressing for a long time. And I think the card game community, you know, has that too, right? Where it's like, these are games that can be enjoyed equally by anyone. There is no physical barrier of any kind um, that should exist uh, in in card gaming or just gaming in general, frankly. So, yeah, I think if that's something you want to see more of, um, then then make it happen. You know, that's that's on all of us to make sure that those opportunities are there and that they're those people are welcomed. So, yeah, let's let's do that. One piece that I think I want to piggyback on is I do like the idea of having a presence, uh, whether it's somebody doing interviews or some pre-filmed things that builds player profiles. I think that's really important, but one of the things I kind of realized after I went to the Flesh and Blood World Championships in Barcelona uh, this past year is that I don't think that enough is done to showcase the spectacle of the large-scale events outside of whatever the primary tournament is as well. So, mm. yeah, I love player profiles, and I love finding out what makes people tick and learning about cool quirks they have and what their favorite characters are. Uh, I don't want to stop any of that, but I keep thinking about, like, how much fun I had at that world championship even though i wasn't there for the actual event i was just there for side events right and this is going to be a game where we know because josh has said it on stream that the organized play the bigger events are going to have side events and they're going to have prize walls and all of those things he's said that is uh definitely an emphasis for them but also this is star wars so there's going to be people in costume and there's going to be other weird side events and I would like to see some of that stuff covered as well. Even if it's not like, hey, you have a dedicated time slot. You know, mm -hmm. I think about, again, like that world championship for Flesh and Blood. There's no reason that some of those like interviews with James White or some of that stuff with the professor couldn't have been interwoven into the breaks for yeah, totally. the rounds. Um, I, I think that if you're trying to sell people on how much fun TCGs can be, you kind of have to showcase that it's, yes, absolutely about the top end play, but also you can just have fun showing up, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a, a, a great thing to highlight. And I, I would love to see some of that worked into broadcasts somehow in, in the future. Um, well, what I've noticed is there's sort of this like catch 22 when it comes to broadcasting these kinds of events where they're like, well, our viewership isn't very big, so we're not going to invest very much in that. And then because they don't invest very much in that, their viewership never grows. So it's, I, right. I think, uh, I think there's, you have to do one before the other happens, right? You have to, you have to put a little bit of extra money into the viewing experience before people are like, oh, hey, I should watch this. Or people start telling their friends, hey, you should really watch the stream. There's a lot of cool content there. Or they start clipping it and sharing content with each other, you know? And the thing is, is like some of these big events, they're spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, as far as bringing the artists in, getting the venue, getting all the stuff side up, uh, set up, you know, the props, all the spaces, the side events. Like 
you don't need to spend all that much more to improve your broadcast a lot. It's it, compared to everything else that's already being spent there. Spend a few thousand more on like hiring one more talent, getting one more, you know, camera to go around and, and collect stuff, right? Go talk to the artists, go talk to one of the vendors and be like, what's the rarest, coolest card you have? And let's showcase it and talk about it. Like, you know, it, it would not take that much more of an investment than what exists already to provide a lot more content that would increase the, the level of the productions greatly. So it's it's always frustrated me that we aren't seeing that, that happen. Like, and, you know, w <laughs> will we see it happen here? I hope so. But uh, you could do a lot with very little, you know. Imagine even just interweaving, like fun comedic experiences that also highlight what I consider to be part of like the big event experience. So imagine we give Flake a microphone oh, and in between rounds, <laughs> he starts with a TIE fighter Oh, uh, and he continues to trade throughout the day and we see where he ends up and we just track him on the breaks, right? Like it's yeah. just the check in. Hey, Flake, how you doing? And then it cuts to him like at a booth or at a table trading with somebody and he's like, oh, I'm you know, up to an Imperial Walker or whatever, right? And mm -hmm. doesn't have to take up a ton of time, but it's one of those nice things that just highlights one of the things that you see happen at these events and makes it fun. I, I would like to see, you know, some of that um, just kind of in general. I, I think that that would help sell the experience that I think some folks are missing out on because what I've been thinking about is there's a lot of folks that play games casually and then they are intimidated to make the jump to some of these larger events uh this is a game where i fully expect casual audiences to be drawn in in part because it's easy to pick up and in part because it's star wars and also because there's you know younger audiences uh, i've signed up for pre-releases already and i'm taking my son and he's super excited right and as I think about like bridging the gap for that, I, I think that, again, if you can show people, hey, you can go to these big tournaments and still have a good time, even if you're not the most competitive person, like that's an important thing to showcase in my mind. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I the the trading up thing, we did that DM Armada and I did that at US Nats 2022 in Charlotte. I think it was we took a cracked bobble which is like a token, and we traded it all the way up to, uh, we spent like, I think two days doing this. We traded all the way up to like uh, a box of uh, Uprising and a, a bunch of other random Majestics. We literally just set up a booth that said, let's make a deal. And that was the first thing we had on the table. And people are like, uh, we'll trade. I'll trade you this like foil rare if for that crack bobble, but you guys have to sign it. We're like, okay, so we signed it, we traded it up, then we had that, and we kept going. And somebody, and then people, it just we we had there was a buzz that went around. But yeah, it was like a fun little thing. We were tweeting about it, and like, and what's the best part about it is that when we got all the way up to all these majestics and all this other stuff and the box of uprising, we went to go find the dude who gave us the uh the original cracked bobble, uh, and we're like to reward him we're like here's a box of uprising we could not find the dude we <laughs> could not the, our objective was to basically give that dude that initial person who donated us the cracked bobble for fun for funsies to mm -hmm. reward him and say you started this this is yours That's we, awesome we put out the sos we could not find the dude so we ended up basically ripping the box open and and giving packs away to people it was a lot of fun. Um, we have like five or six questions, but I think we're we're gonna probably have to uh, just push them down the assembly line. We're gonna ask 
a uh, couple quick ones. Um, this one from Main Deck Dan. My question: At what point in the draft do you pick a foil ardent sympathizer, and does hyperspace foil <laughs> change that number? I was offered. I I I absolutely was passed a uh, ardent sympathizer foil. I picked it. It wasn't in my colors. It had nothing to do with anything that I was actually doing. It's the way. But this we took it. So, and if it was a hyperspace foil, pack one, pick one. I don't care what the hell else is in that pack. That's the move. Easy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, I'm limited. It's not, it's not a bad card. It's, it's three for three, three, plus two attack if you have initiative. So it's like if you're building something that's kind of uh, aggressive in the, in the red vein and, and uh, you know, you want something that's a little bit mid-rangey as far as that goes, uh, it's, it's not bad. You could certainly do worse than a, a, three, for, a three, three for three. You Plus, uh, I mean, let's be real, uh, the death sentence in like eight different systems, so. Yeah, I mean, he's just a happy-go-lucky uh, murder machine, that that ardent sympathizer. All right, um, let's do one more, and then we'll wrap it up, and we'll, we'll sort of push the rest uh, to the next episode. This one from John Franey. How do y'all balance being invested mentally and financially, that's a big one, uh, in so many TCGs? Have you ever been tempted to double down on just one? What keeps you in so many? Um, for me, I mean, a lot of it is career oriented. That this is this is basically where I've put all my. I, I'm lucky enough to say that my hobbies and my career are so intertwined that I have the time and the capability to not just invest in one or two card games, but many. Uh, this is just one that has immediately shot up to probably the top, if not the 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 numbers like it's it's up there with flesh and blood in terms of every single ounce of my of my attention uh, i think that this game is exceptional and um yeah i i mean i'm a, i'm a fan of diversifying my portfolio i i don't want to be known as the flesh and blood guy i want to be known as the card game guy and that's kind of part of it yeah i think for me, like the financial side of it, um, I just like I said, I, I tend to trade away all my alt arts for more cards. So I think you can you can buy a box or two and, and make that go a long way. Uh, and you know, some people don't like doing that. Some people like to hold on to that stuff. I just like having a greater uh, breadth of decks to play when I want to. That's my priority. So you know, thankfully, I can use alt art cards that I crack in a packs from a few boxes to do that. And not have to spend a whole lot, man. Especially with like a, a kid. Now it's like I don't look at like dollars in my bank account i look at boxes of diapers you know so it's like yeah as economical as possible please so yeah that's that's what i do but also as far as like the number of games being involved in like i just love systems like that's what i really discovered over the years when i you know i, I love because i bounced between a, a lot of different esports and and uh, in my professional career and and card games too i played pretty much every card game that's out there and uh i i just really enjoy learning new gaming systems and then learning about the people that really push those systems to the extreme. It's just a really fascinating topic for me to just dive into and study. And that's what keeps me going for like new games and learning new things and all that. And I do have games that I really like stick on for a while. And I, I prioritize those above other ones. Flesh and Blood's a great example of that. That's that's kind of how the three of us got to know each other is through Flesh and Blood. And that was a game that really grabbed my interest and, and still has it, you know. Um, but, uh, I think more than anything, what gets me to try it is that just love of gaming systems to begin with. So that's, that's the reason why I play so many. Yeah, I would just echo that wholeheartedly. Um, 
Yeah, I think about doubling down on just one game all the time. I just know that I won't be able to. <laughs> I love card games. I have my entire life. Uh, I love board games of all shapes and sizes. I just like games because much like Doa, I like systems, but I also really like when somebody has an idea and they have this either story they want to tell or whatever the case may be with their game. And then they create systems to make the flavor match the function. And I just really enjoy like dissecting that. So like I've never done professional game design. I've done QA testing and stuff like that. But I would consider myself like a, you know, amateur hobbyist game designer or just somebody who really appreciates good game design because I'm always looking at learning new games and kind of dissecting what makes them tick. That's really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, I like to learn new things. And the best way to do that is by playing new games. Uh, as far as being like mentally invested, it's also pretty easy once you get into a rhythm of dissecting games, you can pick them up pretty quickly. Uh, all of us here, we do commentary and coverage. And so learning games and watching other people and learning from watching other people, I, I think, comes pretty naturally as well. So the mental investment is actually smaller than normal unless I was like preparing to play in an event, then you got to just like grind reps till you can do it in your sleep. But uh, yeah, I just, I like to learn and that's never going to go away. Um, I, I I couldn't, I couldn't just pick one game if I wanted to. That's the reality. That's self-awareness. And we like that. All right. That closes the mailbag. I'm going to slide one in on, uh, on you, Doa, before we uh, say goodbye, oh. which is, oh my. do you think you, it, it, it is, completely capable let's say you buy one box of star wars unlimited you buy a box of mm -hmm. star wars unlimited you open right. all the packs you take out all the hyperspaces all the foils uh sorry all the hyperspace cards and all the hyperspace foils do you think you can trade a stack of those for another box depends on the cards right i mean it depends on uh if you're pulling like the green vader legendary and you've got that in hyperspace or something if you if you i mean that might just be a box in itself who knows but uh the millennium falcon i think those two cards are going to be the big uh the big ticket items um i yeah it just depends right i mean because there's going to be some legendaries that are like super high value and you know stuff like super laser blast is i don't think that's ever going to be like a high price card because it's going to only be in like very certain decks you know Whereas like the Millennium Falcon, that can go in like so many different heroism decks, right? And and so I think I think it depends, but yeah, it's totally possible, right? I mean, especially if you end up with a showcase. Like I'm sure a showcase is gonna get oh, you, a like, showcase is gonna get you a, two on its own, right? It's gonna be like a crate, but, yeah, absolutely, depending yeah, on which one. But just in terms of like hyperspace rares plus, you know, legendaries and things like that, it's it's possible. I mean it's it's I can't say for certain, right? Because who knows what the market's gonna look like for this game when it comes out, but just looking at what exists in other card games that have that same system where it's like the base cards that you just need to play uh, are very accessible financially and then it's the alt arts that really are the collectability and the cost drivers for it um i think this game has that and i think we're going to see a similar sort of breakdown where it's like the showcases could be you know a few hundred dollars depending on what character it is obviously like you know vader or something or what leia is going to be more than probably like an ig88 right unless somebody's a, a big ig88 fan so those are going to be like you know i would guess in the range of 100 to 300 dollars depending on the characters and then some of the hyperspace foils because it's just so rare to get those in a pack because it needs to be that slot it needs to be hyperspace and it needs to be foil like 
you know, those legendaries are going to be pretty valuable, you know, upwards probably. I'm going to guess around the the high tens to the the hundreds, maybe like low hundreds. Um, but, you know, again, those are just purely my guesses based on what we see in other card games. But to answer your, your original question, yeah, I think it's totally possible to get another box out of the alt arts in one box. Sweet. Yeah. Why not? All right, uh, Jackson Herrader and Simon Bedford, I we hear you, we see you. Um, I know that I had replied to your email saying that we'd get to those on this episode. We just ran out of time. We will get to them uh, on next episode. There's a lot to dig into on this episode, and we're so close to the game launching. But now mm. I think we're going radio silent with FFG with some of the information and such, so we'll have more time. But we do want to invite everybody to uh, please send us your, your questions. Again, we'll prioritize the Discord for now to sort of hype that up. So join our Discord, join the Ice Cave Radio Discord, uh, as well as you can email us, icecaveradio at gmail.com. We appreciate every uh, little wonderful message that we get and every question and curiosity. Uh, always is fun to, to hear. And if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button here on YouTube or uh, give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us. This is Ice Cave Radio. You can send me a message. At Watchflake, you can send Doa message at G G D O A at Charm uh, at that Charm Three R uh, or our podcast at Ice Cave Radio, all on Twitter. Friends, lovers, strangers, you're all the cat's ass, but we go out in style. Charmer, wisdom, do it. May the force be with you.